Hi everybody, uh, this is a very important session here on uh, deciphering Paul's hardest words on women. I'm doing this session in response to a question that was asked by, by, by one of you. And um, so I, I, I decided that I, I was going to do an entire teaching on this to inaugurate to inaugurate our uh, Bible Answer series. So we'll be doing a... Uh, it's a new series that we're doing in addition to our normal uh, encounter audios. Now, the encounter audios are more uh, sim simplistic and uh, devotional. It's not really in-depth teaching, but in the Bible Answers uh, a series, we're, we're going to be going more in-depth so that we can address some doctrinal issues and some controversial issues and some tough questions that you'll find difficult to, to answer. So, uh, I believe every month I'll be getting uh, uh, the the toughest questions from from some of you, and and we will try to provide answers from Scripture in that regard. It is very important in in our season, in our time, in this age, to to be properly educated in the doctrine, in uh, in true and sound doctrines from Scripture, uh, because there's so much, uh, there's so many things, uh, crazy things that are being. Uh, taught and preached out there and uh, but it's important for the believers to be equipped and uh, I don't just want to give you a uh, doctrine no I also want to show you how to arrive at sound doctrine how to read your bible effectively how to arrive at sound doctrine how to be a good interpreter of scripture because every believer is supposed to be a barian you're supposed to be able to open your your bible and cross check you know evaluate everything that you hear uh, from the preachers, including your own preachers. Amen. And uh, nobody is above the word of God. And so we will, uh, the word of God is going to remain our final authority. And uh, so we can't compromise that standard. So today in this session, uh, I'll be addressing uh, some portions of scripture that are attributed to the Apostle Paul because they appear in his, in his epistles. And uh, which have caused a lot of headache, you know, a lot of headache, a lot of hermeneutical, exegetical headache, and uh, and a lot of, of relationship headache because uh, there some some segments of the church are divided because of these words of the apostle Paul, and this is really strange because the apostle Paul is is uh, the apostle that received the that most discussed the grace of God and the love of God. You know, and who we are in Christ and all of that uh, in the New Testament. Uh, he wrote one third of the New Testament alone. And, uh, and, uh, and strange enough, he is the one who has some of the hardest uh, words that we find in the New Testament. But, uh, but again, when you take these words in context, you discover that they were not really hard. They were simply words that a wise and spirit-led leader had to say to establish order in his church environment, in his day, in his time. So uh, this is very, 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 very important. So, and before we go there, let me just uh, mention what Paul says in verse 37 and verse 38 of First Corinthians chapter 14, just after he discusses some, some of the hard things that we're going to discuss here today. But, but Paul says in First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, 
And uh, verse 37 to 38, let me just paraphrase it now, but we'll read the entire scripture in a moment, as well as the other scriptures. Paul said, for those of you who think uh, maybe you're a prophet or, or, or you're wise or you have understanding, you have knowledge, you will recognize that what I am speaking, I am speaking by the Spirit of God and that my words are the commandments of God. Commandments of God. I mean, and Paul was referring to some of the hard things that we're going to discuss. And he said, and he said, these words are commandments from God that if you are spiritual and if you are a prophet, you will discern, you will uh, agree that what he is saying is the word of God. So Paul was right to say what he said when he said it. But these are not eternal doctrines. These are not, uh, as we will see. Uh, the doctrines may not apply to everybody. Each detail, every single detail of some of the hard things that he said may not apply to everybody in all generations because of the context. He spoke those words in a specific context, which may not be our own context today, which may not exist today. For example, when he says, uh, now this is not one of the things that we'll discuss, but I'm just giving you an example to give you some perspective, when when the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, at home you can read verse 25 to, to 40. Now, Paul says a lot of things concerning marriage and uh, the marriage relationship and things like that. But one of the things he says in this 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is that he, he discourages marriage, basically. He, he discourages, he says, I wish, I, I wish many of you could just stay like me. I wish many of you could refrain from marriage. But Paul is not making it a doctrine. He is saying that based on the specific context in which he was speaking. And here, the context is revealed in, in, in that same 1 Corinthians and uh, in verse 26, I believe, where he says, and I'm saying this because of the present distress. So Paul advises celibacy because of what he called the present distress. And that present distress, what was it? It was intense. It was hard, uh, ferocious persecution against the church of Jesus Christ. You know, and in such times, it is better to be single because even for your security and, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult and it's painful to be in war or to be chased when you have a wife and you have children and things like that and you have a husband. It is difficult to go through hard times like that when you have a family. Okay, but Paul concludes the whole thing and he says, but, but in, in, in any case, if, if anybody burns, it's free to, to get married. And uh, so Paul by no means was advocating celibacy at all times for all believers. No, he was advocating celibacy at that particular time uh, within the context of the high persecution that the church was undergoing. And uh, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, Marriage is honorable among all, and, and the marriage bed should remain undefiled. So Paul honors marriage. And uh, in fact, he is also he's actually the, the apostle that spoke the most about marriage in Scripture. And most especially in the book of Ephesians, where you have uh, about 15 verses in Ephesians chapter 5 that talk about marriage. And that say some of the most beautiful things we read in marriage, some of the best marriage education. In fact, not some of the, it is the best marriage education that we find in Scripture. I've not found any better marriage education than the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. So the Apostle Paul was by no means against marriage. In fact, uh, again, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 
And uh, also Titus chapter 1, he discusses marriage as one of the requirements, uh, you know, uh, for being, uh, well, not a requirement, but he's, but marriage is honorable. He, and, and he says, if you want to be a pastor, if you want to be a bishop, if you want to be a deacon, uh, you have to be uh, married, uh, uh, the, the, the husband of one wife. Now, he's not saying if you're single, you can't be a, a, a pastor, a leader, a bishop or whatever, uh, but he's saying... If in case you're married, you have to be married to just one person, and that completely knocks out some of the crazy doctrines that we uh, that we're hearing today about Christian polygamy. Uh, poly- polygamy disqualifies you from from Christian ministry, and, you know. And it's strange to see that we have some pastors who are polygamists today, and 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 they're advocating that crazy doctrine. But actually, they disqualified themselves from the ministry. You can't. You can't have two wives in the New Testament and and uh, and be uh, uh, and be a pastor and be a minister of the gospel. You are disqualified. If if Christ met you in that in that situation, uh, Scripture says you 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 are accepted in your situation, but you will not have access because that's why Paul was saying here, "Let him be the husband of one wife," uh, meaning that salvation, you know, uh, redemption met some people in a situation of polygamy. And but Paul said, even though you are accepted in Christ and all of that, as far as ministry is concerned, because the pastor, uh, the leader, the bishop, the the the, the deacon, uh, is is an example to the flock. Uh, Paul told Timothy, "You have uh, be an example to the flock. Let nobody despise your youth, but be an example." And uh, uh, poly- uh, polygamists are not examples to uh, uh, for the flock to follow. Jesus Christ has only one wife. He doesn't have many wives. We are many believers, but we all form the one body of Christ, and we all form His one bride. So our Lord is not a polygamist. He has only one bride. Okay, so I was just trying to show you that some words, if taken out of context, may really be misinterpreted. And so this leads me to mention this very important principle of Bible interpretation before we actually go, before we actually dive into the scriptures that we want to discuss. And that Paul gave heart, headache and heartache to many, to many people in many generations of Christianity. Here's how the principle goes. You never think that a Bible author means something that contradicts some other things that he said in some other places. Okay, now I will expatiate on that as we go into these scriptures, but it's a very important principle because that is the guiding principle behind this study that we're doing. So that was background, that was introduction, that was a long introduction, but let's just start. So let me give you the scriptures, these headache-inducing scriptures. First is uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 from verse 9 to 12, which we're going to read. Uh, that's the first one that I'm going to read. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 to, to 12. That is actually maybe the one that gave the most headache to a lot of people in the body of Christ. Hard words, you know. And uh, First Corinthians, the next one is First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34 to 38. That basically says the same thing. And then we have, of course, First Corinthians chapter eleven. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to we're going to address chapter eleven in this session uh, because the session might be too long otherwise. But but we'll see. So let us start with First Timothy, 
First Timothy chapter 2 from verse 9 to verse 12. Let me just read the whole the whole passage and then we'll we'll, we'll go verse by verse. He says I'm reading first from the Net Bible. It's a good it's a great uh, version of scripture. I like the Net Bible and I like the Holman Christian Standard Bible and of course I like the authorized Bible, the authorized version. Still my favorite. Uh, but uh, you have some a better translation in some places, in some other versions. So it's very important for your study to incorporate many versions of Scripture. Okay, so Net Bible says, Likewise, verse 9 of First Timothy chapter 2, Likewise, the women are to dress in suitable apparel, that, that is, suitable clothing, with modesty and self-control, their adornment must not be with braided hair and gold or pearls or expensive clothing, but with good deeds, as is proper for women who profess reverence for God. And then he says, a woman must learn quietly with all submissiveness. But I do not, oh, this is where, this is where Paul really hit it hard. He says, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. She must remain quiet. Wow, that's a statement. <laughs> that is a statement. Let me just reread this in, um, in another version. King James says, in like manner also, I want that all women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. Not with, not with broided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. And then he says, But I suffer not a woman to teach, not to usurp authority over the man. So this formulation, uh, this rendering, the King James rendering has caused a lot of people to say that teaching is usurping authority. Uh, when a woman teaches, she is actually a usurper and uh, she's not supposed to do that because she's taking authority over the man. And uh, he says, but I want her to be in silence. So these are pretty hard words. Of course, he concludes by saying that for Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Okay, so don't worry, don't be afraid, uh, ladies, my dear sisters. We're going to, by the end, by the time we're done with this, you will actually love the Apostle Paul more. <laughs> I believe that. Okay, let me also read this from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It's one of my favorite versions. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyle, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for women who affirm that they worship God. And then he says, a woman should learn in silence with full submission. And he says in verse 12, I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to be silent. All right, and then we'll come back to that. We will read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34 to uh, 38. 
Later on, I just want to start with verse 9. Let us address the first issue here. Because this is actually the, the question that, that triggered this all. I was asked to make a comment on this verse 9 of 1 Timothy chapter 2. So, there are a couple of questions that come up here. Let's read the, the, the verse again. It says, let me read it from the King James. It says, in like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided or braided hair or gold or pearls or costly, expensive clothing. So first issue here is Paul saying that women should not, you know, dress nice and, uh, and wear gold and, and things like that. He says their adornment must not be, I'm reading from the net again, their adornment must not be with braided hair and gold or pearls or expensive things. So, of course, if you just end there, some people uh, in the body of Christ have mistakenly taken the scripture and they did not read the text well and they did not look at the general context of scripture. Because uh, before you conclude that the Apostle Paul is saying that women should not wear braided hair, women should not wear gold or pearls or expensive clothing. Before you conclude that, then you have you have to go back and read the entire Bible and see what Scripture says about these very things that the Apostle Paul mentions here. Of course, it is very easy to see here that Paul is simply trying to lay the emphasis. He is asking women to emphasize things that are more important than their outward appearance. Because you can't be so consumed with your outward appearance that you find yourself lacking in the more important things of life. Like uh, what he mentions in verse 10, good deeds, and uh, good deeds, modesty, a reverence for God, uh, a good spirit, a submissive spirit. He says, this inner beauty, Paul is saying here, basically, I'll, I'll show you more in more details, but let me just lay the foundation. Paul is simply saying, uh, I want you to emphasize values, inner values over outward, outward appearance. But, but now let's look at every, uh, at each element here. So does Paul have any problems with the, the scripture? Say that women should not wear bread. You shouldn't plait their head. They shouldn't have braided hair. I mean, of course, some people have said that this is what Scripture says here, but this is really, 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 really very funny. I know that uh, this is not a problem, actually, for many people, but you need to be able to know how to explain this. Okay, so we know that Scripture cannot mean that braided hair in themselves are a problem because, for example, in the book of Judges, chapter 16 and verse 13, the Bible talks about the seven locks of Samson. Samson reveals his, the seven locks as being the secret of his strength. That if you want to paralyze him, if you want to neutralize him, you need to cut off his, his locks. So God caused the anointing on Samson's life to be resident in braided hair, in the very thing that Paul is mentioning here. So Paul cannot be saying that braided hair in themselves are, are a problem. He's not saying don't braid your hair, don't plait your hair, don't do your hair, don't wear your extensions. He's not saying that Paul doesn't care about your hairstyle. He doesn't care about your hairstyle. As long as the foundation is maintained here, what's the key word in this verse 9? 
He says, with modesty. He wants women to dress with modesty. And the word translated by modesty here in almost all versions is a word that simply means appropriately and with a sense of decorum. You know what decorum is? Decorum is appropriateness to a context. You have to dress in a way that is befitting for the place, for the environment that you find yourself in, for the people that you find yourself with. And so, so that is modesty. That is why modesty is standards of modesty will always be dependent on where you find yourself. And you can't really judge people in the area of modesty if you don't understand their context. So what is deemed modest, even in this country, in Cameroon, may be deemed very, very inappropriate in some other places of the earth. And, uh, and, and, and some of the things that were considered completely inappropriate in Paul's day are not considered to be completely inappropriate today. So braided hair, God caused the anointing of the Holy Spirit to rest, to be resident in Samson's locks. He says, this hair should never be cut. You see, and uh, and I'm sure if, if a brother has uh, dreadlocks today, uh, that brother will be tagged carnal in most places. But Samson had dreadlocks. I, that's really what Samson had. Samson looked more like a Rastafarian than, uh, than anything else you can think of. The guy had seven big, long <laughs> dreadlocks. Well, the Bible didn't, doesn't say dreadlocks, but they were dread. <laughs> They were dread. They had never been cut. And I'm not sure Samson was using shampoo on them uh, or, or anything like that. But anyway, so these were dreadlocks by today's uh, vocabulary. And he had seven of them. Speaking of the seven spirits of God. Amen. So God does not care about your, he doesn't care about uh, some of these external things. The Bible says that God does not look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. But it is men who look at the outward appearance. So, for a brother to even be modest in many places, it wouldn't be wise for a brother to wear dreadlocks based on the environment in which you are. If you are in Cameroon and you are a brother, you want to get married, you, you want sisters to associate with you easily, freely, it wouldn't be too wise on your part to maintain your dreadlocks. You know, it wouldn't be too wise. Even though God strictly has no issues, God has no problem with how your hair is done. Whether it's natural or not natural, God does not care about that. He, that means absolutely nothing to him. And it meant, and it meant absolutely nothing to the apostle Paul. As far as you were in a position of modesty, with your context, within your context, within your specific environment. And so Paul, so the word modesty here is the word, is a word that means with a sense of decorum. So dress appropriately for the occasion and for the location. That is what Paul is saying here with when he says modest. Of course, he says gold or pearls or expensive clothing. Is the Apostle Paul saying that we should not uh, that women should not be dressed with gold, pearls, or expensive clothing. I mean, this is exactly the same situation with the braided hair. What did Jesus say? Now, this is one very interesting uh, portion of scripture here. In Matthew, for the sake of time, I will not turn there actually out, but I'll just try to paraphrase it from, uh, from memory. You find this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 28 to 33. And you find it in Luke chapter 12, verse 27 to 31. And it is the Lord Jesus himself speaking. And he says, well, if, 
if the lilies of the field, if God clothes the lilies of the fields with splendor, you know, to the point that even Solomon in his glory, now Jesus said Solomon in his glory was not as gorgeously clothed as the lilies of the field. So he says Solomon in his glory, it means that Solomon was dressing gloriously. <laughs> you see, but these lilies are clad, they are well clothed by the Father. And he says, and the Father knows you need these things. But he concludes in Matthew 33, he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added. So there is nothing with splendid dressing. There is nothing wrong with it in itself. But there has to be a shift in, in the emphasis. What matters to you most? And Paul is speaking specifically to women here because women are more prone to be carried away by their looks and it's natural well a woman wants to look good but paul is saying you should be more concerned about being beautiful on the inside than about being beautiful on the outside so your dressing your adornment should not be braided hair gold pearls and expensive clothing he doesn't say any of these is bad because the lord jesus himself said the father knows you have needs. So the father knows you need to be as well-dressed as the lilies of the field. And he describes the dressing of the lilies of the field as glorious, as actually being more glorious than Solomon. God expects, God wants, I mean, God loves it when his children are shining. He loves it when his daughters are shining. There's no problem with that. No problem with that. For people who say, uh, well, sisters should not wear gold, I mean, they are in trouble. Uh, they're, 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 they're in trouble. A believer should not wear jewelry or things like that. No. G, uh, the, the Apostle Paul is simply uh, emphasizing things that are more important. Things that are more important. And, and really, there are ladies who care more about Nyanga, who care more about looking good than about their, their walk with God and about their relationship with God. I mean, believers, Christian ladies who are more obsessed with their looks than they are, you know, with pleasing God and knowing Him and experiencing Him. So Paul is saying, hey, you don't do that. You don't, don't, don't be looking good and you're, and you're disrespectful to your husband. Then there's something wrong. He says, for a woman who professes reverence for God, in the Net Bible, for a woman who professes reverence for God, this is what is proper. Your dressing should be good deeds good deeds, good behavior, uh, a woman of virtue. That's what you should focus on being. And But Jesus concluded he, uh, this his statement on dressing here by saying, the Father knows you have need of these. He knows, he knows. And he says, if you seek, seek ye first the kingdom. Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom and all these things shall be added. And he says the same thing in Luke uh, the same thing is reported in Luke chapter 12, verse 27 to 31. Father knows you have need of things, but all these things, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. They shall be added. So God wants the splendor in our lives. He wants the gold, the gold and the pearls and everything to be an added something. He is saying all this external uh, beauty and external splendor should be added it should be an addition it should not be an addiction okay it should be an ad addition it shouldn't be an addiction it should be you know looking good should be an addition it should not be an ambition your ambition should be the kingdom of god i want to know you better know you more and make you known to my generation and so paul is by no means saying that gold 
or pearls or wearing braided hair, doing your hair good, wearing extensions. Uh, there's another version here. I think, yes, Holman Christian Standard Bible says elaborate hairstyles, you know. Oh, and ladies can really have some elaborate hairstyles and very complicated hairstyles. So, but scripture is not saying that these things are forbidden, but they are simply saying, scripture is simply saying that your focus should be some should be something else it should be good works should be good works and the last one here expensive apparel costly apparel expensive clothing in the words of the net bible so does god have anything against expensive clothing and by the way before i forget all these people who say that believers shouldn't wear jewelry or gold or something like that they'll really be shocked. I'm sure some believers will think the father is carnal when they when they get to heaven because there's gold everywhere. Roads plated with gold, pure gold, you know, not 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 just gold dust. It's pure thick gold of the highest quality in heaven with with precious stones. The the houses are built on foundations made of precious stones and and there is a river of crystal, you know, flowing and 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 at the bottom of that river, you don't find mud. You find topaz. You find diamonds. You find crystals. You find all kinds of of amazing gems and uh, of the highest quality. So God is God is a God of luxury, and heaven is a luxurious place. God has absolutely no issue. God is not worried about you living in in in, in splendor. He's not worried about that. But He is concerned about you being more obsessed with those things than you are obsessed with him. Because that is the issue. That is the takeaway message here. You see, and Jesus himself during his earthly ministry, he was not the most poorly dressed person in town. In fact, uh, scripture reveals to us that it could have been rather the opposite. I don't believe that Jesus was too uh, ostentatious. So Jesus was not poorly dressed. I believe that his garment was pretty, uh, I'm sure it was on the higher end of dressing uh, in his day because the Bible says in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 35, the same thing he said also in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, that Jesus had a, a, he had, he had a special garment. Uh, I know that the garment was special because these two scriptures that I mentioned talk about how the Roman soldiers cast lots so that they could share his garment. It wasn't just because it was this guy that they were insulting. No, it wasn't just because it was the Lord Jesus. These guys probably believed that maybe there was there was going to be some magic in in the, in, in the garment, you know, because of uh, who the owner was. Maybe they thought that some of his magic tricks would have robbed off on on that garment, and they could use it and go. This is just a parenthesis. Even when people insult you and say that uh, your miracles are fake, the day they have an opportunity to to benefit from that, they want to do that even in secret. And uh, so I'm sure these guys were there and they were part of the guys who were insulting and, uh, and mocking Jesus. But somehow, somewhere in their hearts, they still believed that, hey, probably there was something unique and something different about this man. Let me just have his clothes, his, you know, part of his clothing. Uh, one ever knows, maybe I'll lay it on, on my son's head who's sick at home. You see, so anyway, 
so Jesus and Jesus had a garment that that was that had no seams you know it was one piece so it was completely embroidered into in one piece and I'm sure that was that that was not uh, a low-end piece of clothing at, at the at his time but anyway so God does not have any issues with your dressing braided hair elaborate hairstyle gold pearls or things like that i've heard some people say to some believers that wearing uh, uh hair extensions you know artificial hair is uh that is demonic or that some of the hair or taken some from uh some demonic sources or things like that well uh it's this is i mean we we have to grow past that kind of that kind of gospel because Sisters, you you need to know you are sufficiently anointed for every demon that was <laughs> that were hiding in those in those artificial hair or natural hair that you're using as extensions. You have to know and believe that you are sufficiently anointed for all those demons to leave before you touch the hair. You see, so I, I mean, we believe more in the power of the devil than we believe in the power of the new creation that we that we are. We, we, we believe more in that and, and this is really I'm sure this this is something that uh, that the angels look at and they're like well well father help 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 our masters we're here to serve them but they don't even know uh, what you, what what you've done for them and we are supposed to teach them we will teach them okay we will teach principalities and powers but 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 so far the average believer is is less knowledgeable than principalities and powers. And, uh, and and not yet ready to teach them. This is sad. So grow up. Uh, if you want to wear your extensions, please feel free to wear your extension. But let it not become an addiction. Let it not become something that you're ready to spend 70000 90000 CFA. You're ready to spend $200 to buy fake hair and put on your head. But you are not ready to spend $50 to buy a good Bible. You know, then there is a problem. You can spend $100 to buy a pair of shoes, but you cannot spend $20 to buy a book that would transform your life. Then there is a problem. Okay? So Paul is saying you should emphasize the right thing. So uh, focus on the right thing. Now I have to get out. I have to get out of this and, and, and move. Let me just share these two verses with you. Psalms chapter, chapter 1 and verse 10. The fiancé... Uh, describes he talks about he talks about the rows of jewels and the chains of gold that were on the neck of his fiance the rows of jewels and chains of gold that were on the neck of his fiance so it was a common practice i mean it was just natural for the israelites to wear jewels you know and in songs here uh this the the lover describes uh how lavishly how uh, how uh, dressed, how adorned this lady, his love was. She says she had cheeks with rows of jewels, and then chains of gold on her neck. See, so there, there is nothing wrong with wearing the gold. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. But just make sure you don't wear that when you've not been able to 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 buy yourself a good Bible. <laughs> oh, amen. And uh, knowledge and wisdom are more important than good looks. 
Proverbs 11, 22 and Proverbs 20, 15. Uh, Proverbs 11, 22. As a jewel of gold in the swines, in the pig's snout, so is a fair, that's beautiful, a beautiful woman who is without discretion, meaning without wisdom. So scripture is saying here, discretion is better than beauty, meaning wisdom is more important than, than good looks. All right. And, uh, Proverbs 20, verse 15, Proverbs 20, verse 15, it says, There is gold and a multitude of rubies, of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious, are a precious jewel, the lips of knowledge. So, Scripture is telling us here that, that knowledge is more important than gold and multitudes of rubies. After these two Proverbs, let me conclude with a by reading uh, another Bible author, uh, Apostle Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we have a very close parallel to this uh, scripture that we just read here. And he says in 1, 1 Peter chapter 3, from verse 1, In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the Christian message, they may be won over without a message by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. And then in verse 3, he says, your beauty. So this is the same message as in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. He says, your beauty should not consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyle and the wearing of gold ornaments or fine clothes. This is exactly the same thing. And in verse 4, he says, instead... It should consist of what is inside, the heart with the imperishable quality of the gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable in God's eyes. So this is the message here. Your beauty should not just be that outward beauty, but it should consist of what is inside. So you don't neglect the outside, but you focus more and you invest more on what is inside. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. That is, that is the message. So now let's move to the next verse. Next verse is first is, is verse 11. Verse 11 says, and this is the one that is given, that has given the most headache to the body of Christ. It says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. And in verse 12, which just nails everything on the head. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. That was the King James. And the Holman Christian Standard Bible says, a woman should learn in silence with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to be silent. I do not allow a woman to teach. Now, before... I say anything else, let's also read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which addresses the same issue. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and uh, verse 34 to 36. So he says, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask. Oh my God, if they will learn anything. 
And, and, and that is why to Timothy, he says, uh, they should learn in silence with full submission. So here he says, let them ask. Okay. So that is the full submission that he was talking about in, in Timothy. That full submission is the submission to the person that you're going to ask the question to, which is their husband. And we will prove that. In fact, here in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it's, it's pretty clear. It says, let them ask their husbands at home. And we will explain why he says this. Let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shame. It is inappropriate for women to speak in the church. Wow, wow, wow. Apostle Paul. So it is uh, very important as we study these scriptures to, uh, you know, to really read very carefully because many of the answers are already in the text or not very far from the text. And the answers that are not also in the text are in some other writings of the same author and author uh, and other biblical authors. Uh, I remember, I, let me remind you of this principle that I mentioned at the beginning. It is always advised to read what the same author said in a different place to know what he has never meant to say in the passage you're studying. So, uh, for example, here in uh, first, first Timothy, uh, Paul, Paul is making some very crazy, in quotes, please permit me to, to use the term, uh, he's making some hard statements. And the uh, same in 1 Corinthians chapter 34, uh, he's saying the women should stay silent. They're not permitted to speak. And if they, will, and if they want to learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home for, you know, for they're not allowed. It's a shame for them to speak in the church. It's inappropriate for them to speak in the church. And uh, and before I say any any further thing, we, we're going to read some things. We're going to we're going to see what Paul says about women and ministry in other portions of Scripture, and uh, that will really edify us a little bit. When you understand what Paul said in other places, you will know what he cannot mean in these places that we read. Okay. And, uh, but let me just make this, this, uh, first comment here before I forget. When he says in, uh, first Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34, let the women keep silence. Uh, and, and they're not permitted to speak. You know, there are some people, I always tell believers, if you want to follow this scripture uh, just the way it is, without really studying the context, and just apply it to believers today, you have to go and do it all the way. He says, let the women keep silence. Meaning that if you want to do this today, keep silence means keep silence. It means the women should not even be in the choir, but in, including in churches that say women should not preach, you find women in the choir. Now, but here Paul said, he didn't just say that they're not permitted to preach. He says they should keep silence. So if we want to, silence means silence. They should shut up. Paul didn't want to hear their voices in church. He didn't want to hear their voices during service. Here at this in this very in this particular instance where he was speaking, so keeping silence means uh, she should not even present um, 
uh, I mean, silence is silence. Don't sing in the choir. So don't tell women today. Women should not be told you can't preach. You can't minister uh, the word because that's usurpation of, of authority. Uh, but you can sing in the choir. And so some people have made women to be only good for, for singing in the choir, even when the call of God was boiling in, in their spirit. So if, if you want to follow this scripture, uh, this, this verse here, without looking at the context, and you want to follow it word verbatim, go all the way. Go all the way. Don't have, don't, don't have singers in your church that are women. Let the men do everything. And let the women remain silent. But of course, that is not what scripture uh, is teaching. So let us look at what the Apostle Paul says in some other places before uh, we continue our commentary, uh, our conclusions on 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. He says in Romans chapter 16, for example, Romans chapter 16, Romans chapter 16, verse 1 to 4. It's very interesting portion of scripture here. Number one, in verse one, Paul calls Sister Phoebe. He says, I commend to you our Sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Sancria. I commend to you uh, Sister Phoebe. So you should welcome her in the Lord, in a matter worthy of the saints. And you should assist her. Assist, assist. You should assist her. You should be her assistance. <laughs> in whatever matter she may require your help, meaning that in anything that Phoebe will be doing there, if she wants help, he's not speaking to women here. He's speaking to the church. He's not speaking to women. So men were included in his audience here. And he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church. So Phoebe was a minister of the gospel. And the word translated servant here in many of our Bibles is the word diakonos, which is the same word translated deacon. So Phoebe was a deaconess. She was a leader of the church. Not a deaconess in the sense she, she wasn't just sharing food or things like that. No, that's, that's not the kind of deaconess she was. She was a minister of the gospel. And Paul is asking the Roman believers, including the men, to assist to assist. So some people have said, have thought that when Paul says that teaching for the woman is to usurp authority, they said uh, women should not teach because it's a, you know, they are uh, taking authority over men. No, Paul never said a woman should not take authority over men because here she is clearly giving Phoebe authority over the, the Roman believers. Because if you are instructed by the Apostle Paul to assist somebody in what the person wants to do, it means that the Apostle is giving that person authority over you. She will command you. She will say, okay, uh, brother, I need you to do this. I want you to go and do this for me. Uh, I want you to sit here and wait until I've, I'm done praying. I want you to. I want you. So he says, help her in what she wants to do. So when Paul says the woman should not take authority over the man, he's not just He's not just saying all women and all men. No, he's only talking about a wife and her husband. And I will also see this later. We have a, a couple of details that will just clear out all of these things. Okay, so Paul calls Phoebe a servant. She was a minister of the gospel, a servant of the church. 
and he asks the Roman believers, including the men, to help her, to assist her in all she wants to do. And he says, for indeed she has been a benefactor of many, and of me also. This sister has blessed the Apostle Paul himself. You know, we don't know in what ways, but he says she has been a benefactor, even of me, the great Paul. And verse 3 to 4, he mentions another person. He mentions, he says, give my greetings to Prisca and uh, Aquila. Now, some versions say Priscilla. Okay, I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, but King James and many other versions say Priscilla. Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers. He calls them co-workers, co-workers in Christ Jesus. Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers. And uh, the, the Greek word used there is sunergos, which really means co-laborer, companion in labor. Work fellow, they are my fellow workers, you know. And uh, so these were companions in the vineyard of the Lord. They were doing the same job that Paul was doing. That's what he's saying. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. The King James says, my helpers, but co-worker is really a better translation here. My co-workers in Christ Jesus who risk their own necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. These people, of course, you know that Aquila is, uh, Priscilla is mentioned. Priscilla and Aquila are also mentioned somewhere, somewhere else in scripture where they, 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 they taught the gospel. They corrected the doctrine of, uh, Apollos. So, um, these were ministers of the gospel. Both Priscilla and Aquila, both of them were preachers. So, the way Paul mentions these ladies here clearly shows us that Paul was not giving a universal commandment that women should not preach. He was addressing a particular situation uh, within the particular context, and he was talking within the parameters of marriage, you know, and within the very specific context that was prevailing in their time with the Corinthian church and with the church at Ephesus where Timothy was to be the leader. Okay, let's, let's look at a couple of other scriptures. Now, in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 16 to 17, this is just to trash the, the, this first idea that women should shut up and I do not allow women to preach. So we want to first see what scripture says in other places so that we will be able to conclude that if scripture says all these things concerning women, then these 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians 14 cannot mean that women in all generations and in all places are forbidden to preach. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 16 to 17, and Joel chapter 2, verse 28, we have this promise that every believer knows. He says, And it shall come in the, in the latter days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He says all flesh, including women, including women, including girls. And he says your sons and your daughter shall prophesy your sons and your daughters shall prophesy so when scripture by a prophetic word from joel and which is carried again in acts chapter 2 uh when when scripture says my sons and you, uh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy what is prophecy prophecy is never silent so when paul says let women keep silent in the church Paul cannot be fighting the scripture, otherwise he would be trying to break scripture. 
So he had good reasons, good grounds for asking them in those particular instances and contexts and settings to be silent. But it is not an eternal, universal instruction that affects all women of all generations. Because what affects all women in all generations is Joel chapter 2 verse 28 and Acts 2 16 to 17. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So prophesying, no matter how you call it, prophesying is not keeping silent. And he didn't say they will prophesy in secret because there are people who said no, uh, they will prophesy, but they will not prophesy in church. They will not prophesy during church meetings. Uh, I mean, it's not written anywhere in scripture. So, so the, so the sons will prophesy in church meetings and the daughters will prophesy only at home. No, 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 no. Scripture does not say that anywhere. And we have cases of women like Phoebe, which we mentioned and Priscilla, who were ministers of the gospel in their day, and they taught in places where men were sitting. So then the next thing we want to see is that men and women are equal in the Lord. In the ministry, you know, in Christ, Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 says, there's neither male nor female, neither male nor female. And uh, in First John, I want to just rush it now. In First John chapter three and verse two, women are also called sons of God along with men. He says, "Now are we the sons of God?" So, man's headship is only within the context of marriage, but outside the context of marriage and outside the husband and his own wife, his own wife, men are not superior to women. Men are not the heads of women, like some people have said. No. A man is the head of his wife. He's not the head of women. All right. So in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 to 12, Paul is speaking specifically to wives. He's not speaking to all women. When he says, I do not allow a woman to teach and to have authority over a man, he is not speaking to women. He's speaking to wives. In that particular situation, and the correct translation there should be, I do not want a woman to teach and have authority over her husband, not just general man, because some people, again, some people, some people have erroneously thought that Paul was saying, whenever a, a woman stands in front of an assembly where there are men, she's taking authority over those men or, or she's usurping authority over men. No. A woman is not, she is not called to be submitted to all men. She's called to be submitted to her husband. Of course, we have uh, a, 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 a responsibility. We have uh, scripture calls us all to be submitted to one another in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. You submit to one another. And, uh, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the submission that Paul is referring to here. He's referring to the submission of a wife to a husband. And that is why, uh, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted for them to speak. And uh, in verse 35, he says, and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands. Let them ask their husbands. So the submission here is mostly to their husbands. Take note of something here. The right translation should, should read, a woman, I do not allow a wife, a woman to teach or have authority over her husband. That should be the right translation. You have to note something. In the New Testament, there is only one word for woman and wife. And that word is gune. 
is one word. And there's only one word for man and husband. They, they, they don't have separate words for man and husband. It is the context that lets you know whether it's just a man or it's a husband. Okay? So when the Bible says that uh, a woman should submit to the man, it's, it's saying a woman should submit to her husband, to her own husband. And uh, some versions make it clearer than the King James that most of us uh, uh, are probably using. So... And the single word for both husband and man is aner, and the single word for both wife and woman is gune. So in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23, it's clearly spelled out. It says the husband is head of the wife and not the women. He's not the head of women. He's the head of his own wife. So he says, I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but instead she is to be silent. So having seen what Paul said in other places and what scripture said in other places, and we, we, we have clearly understood that scripture by no means is forbidding women to speak in public and, and, and to preach and all of that and to dress in a certain ways. So having seen all of that, why then, why then did Paul Say he doesn't want a woman to teach uh, or have authority over a man. And instead, she is to be silent. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, he's, uh, 35, he says, if they want to learn anything. In fact, he says, I want them to keep silent. And if they want to learn anything, verse, 20, verse 35, let them ask their husbands at home. For it's a shame. It's, it's inappropriate for a woman to speak in the church. So what happened here? Why did Paul say these words? Paul said these things simply because at this time, uh, women were generally uneducated. And it was an embarrassment for most husbands to have their wives take the floor during meetings. And that is why he says, if they have questions, meaning that they had actually been asking questions. In fact, originally, women were speaking because when Jesus, this is what happened. When Jesus rose from the dead, the first person he spoke to, and he says, go and tell my brothers, go and tell my people that I am no longer in the grave. I have risen from the dead. He spoke to a woman. And that woman had to go tell the brethren. Okay, and so Jesus brought the emancipation. Jesus liberated women from the harsh Eastern traditions of women not having a voice. But this newfound liberty, this newfound uh, uh, freedom that these women had received from the Lord, they were still immature, and they were not uh, they they were not handling this wisdom, this this freedom wisely. I mean, can you imagine if, when you have been oppressed for, 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 for ages, you've been oppressed for centuries, and all of a sudden you are given a voice? Well, you can go crazy at times. And this is what happened to these ladies. They were immature, and they, were not, they did not know how to handle this newfound freedom of speech, this newfound liberty. Uh, to speak in this in the assembling of the saints that Jesus had given them because Jesus liberated the women. He liberated the entire human race, but he liberated the women. The women in, in those uh, areas were in an oppressed system or, you know, women were really so uh, 
they were under strict rules as compared to the men and uh, they were not they didn't have a voice in fact traditions in those in in eastern countries even in those days are still very similar to the traditions that we see today in you know um in the middle east and far east and things like that so still the same traditions where you know women had to cover their hair and things like that and uh why and paul says in the in the case of covering their head he says because of the authority that is above her the, her husband that when she doesn't cover her head it disgraces the husband you see and 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 somewhere in that first corinthians 11 he says but we have he, he mentions customs he says we have no such customs for those of you who want to argue you know so it, it was a it was a cultural uh something but the apostle paul by no means spoke here to all women in all generation it was specific to this context i do not allow a woman to teach i don't want the women to teach in the church let them keep silent and if they have any questions let them go at home and ask their husbands because it is a shame in other words it is an embarrassment for women to speak in church Many of these women were uneducated. Most of the women in those days didn't go to school. They, 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 most of them were not admitted to rabbinic schools and things like that. This was a man-only thing. And this freedom that they received in Christ caused them to cause a lot of disorder in the church. And Paul had to address the situation. And he says, I do not want this disorderly situation. In verse 33 of verse uh, of First Corinthians 14, it says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So Paul is fighting uh, uh, confusion here and agitation. He wants peace in the church. And he says, Let the women keep silence, because so far their speaking has caused trouble. Can you imagine coming for service and uh, you have... Uh, one woman have wanting to stand up and ask a question or make a comment, you know, and then uh, arguments were beginning to 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 rise during meetings and things like that. And Paul had to take drastic measures to address this. The women had been liberated by Christ to speak and participate actively in the work of the ministry, but at this time they were not ready for it. And Paul said, "Okay, we have to halt it here. We have to pause it here." Uh, women, you're not allowed to speak in church any longer. Meaning that they were speaking. He says, if they have questions to ask, let them wait until they are home and ask their husbands. Meaning that at first they were doing it. They were asking the questions. After the ascension, after the Lord rose from the dead and the church was born and uh, the Corinthian church began to grow, uh, the church of Ephesus and in many other places began to grow. These ministries, these various churches. And by the way, these are the churches that Paul was a missionary too. So uh, what they were practicing in those gatherings, they got their foundation from the teachings of the Apostle Paul. So, uh, so Paul knew that women were speaking, but he had to address this situation. So he by no means meant that a woman should not preach. Otherwise, he wouldn't be commanding Phoebe. Uh, he wouldn't be commanding Priscilla. And he wouldn't be asking the Romans in um, uh, the Roman believers to help Phoebe, meaning to be under the authority of Phoebe when she comes to Rome, because that's what basically he did. So when he says, I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man, 
This authority is talking about her husband. So don't make comments in your husband's presence. You know, uh, you, you make comments, you, you, you raise your voice and things like that. Be silent. For now, you don't have sense. You don't understand a lot of things. It was the men who were educated. And it says, when the woman speaks like that, she is an embarrassment for the husband. And he says, because of this, I don't want her to take authority. I don't want her to speak and embarrass her husband in public. I don't want her to raise her voice. Let her go home and ask questions. If if Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians 14 that she should go home and ask questions to the husband, it is because it was a fact that most men were more educated, were more uh, knowledgeable than most women. Paul is confident that when these women ask the questions to their husbands at home, the husband will the husbands will provide them with answers because the husbands were more educated, both in secular education and in spiritual education. The men were more far more advanced than the women. But of course, we know that today things have changed. We have sisters who are more educated than brothers. <laughs> I mean, today there's there's equality. There's equality. We, we all go to school and, and many times the, the girls are better than the boys in school. Today, a woman can be a CEO and she can be a preacher if God has called her to do that. Those barriers of education no longer is, exist in most places, you see. And so, so this is it. Basically, uh, Paul had to take such tough decisions and make such hard statements because he had some situations at hand to address. And uh, I want to conclude by saying this. The strength of, of any people, women or men in any generation, the strength of believers in any generation is, is in their humility. One of the problems that we have in our generation today is that if a Christian leader takes such drastic measures regarding a group of people in the church, these people will rebel, they'll curse him, and um, and they'll think he hates them and things like that, you know, but it is important. It is important. Sometimes your leader will even make a statement, or maybe your leader will establish a rule in the church for the functioning of the church. He's making a decision. I've, I've heard some people say, but uh, our, our pastor took that decision. Where is it written in Scripture? Actually, what Paul said here was not written in Scripture, that women should not speak. It wasn't written in Scripture as he was saying that. It wasn't written anywhere. There's no precedent for that, you know, in the Old Testament, that women shouldn't preach, that women shouldn't speak in the presence. It was cultural, but it was not scriptural. So there's no precedent for this in Scripture. But Paul had to make this strong statement. And he says, he says in verse uh, 37, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of God. Sometimes your leader will take some drastic measures that you may not like, but it is to address some situations. It is to address some situations. I remember I took some drastic measures like that a couple of years ago when I said that any of our leader who is caught in a relationship, somebody, and we were not informed of that relationship, is immediately removed from his position of leadership. That was pretty drastic, but that was to kill immorality. That was to kill some of the instances, some of the crazy things like that that we've had, you see. So sometimes a leader will make some drastic statements and take some drastic measures because of the 
because of the impending and incumbent situation. And this is what happened here with Paul. And today a lot of people misunderstand and misconstrue his words. And some people even are mad at Paul. I believe I've heard more than one person saying that when they go to heaven, they'll really ask Paul why he wrote some of these things, why he said some of these things that he said in scripture and that are causing headache and trouble. But I believe that when we do our homework, when you consider what scripture says in other places, then you will know that Paul could not mean what we think he was meaning here. So again, when he says, I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority of a man, and instead she should be silent, she should shut up, Paul is not speaking to all women in all generations. So to summarize, let me just take over some of these questions. Are women free to dress with gold, with expensive apparel, with pearls, with elaborate hairstyles? Quick answer is yes, but it shouldn't be something that they focus on. They should focus more on spiritual value, on inner beauty. They should focus more on knowing God. And in terms of their general dressing code, they should dress modest. And modest dressing simply means dressing appropriate for the occasion and for the location. So if you dress with a sense of decorum for the occasion and for the location, you are a modest, you are, you're doing what scripture is saying. But in terms of the details of your gold or whatever you want to wear, if you can afford it and it's not stopping you from partnering with the gospel as well, then go ahead, you know, feel free to look good. In fact, you must look good. The Bible says God looks at the heart. So it is God who sees the heart, but it says men look at the outward appearance. So especially you sisters who are trusting God to get married or things like that. Hey, unbelievers don't trust God to get married. They look good. They try to look, well, they push the button too, too far a little bit, but they don't have better knowledge. You know, so they try to look seductive to men today, but believers have to look attractive. Yeah, I mean, look good, look good, my sisters. All right. So if you like, if you like Nyanga, do your Nyanga, but let God be more important than looking good to you. So this is very important. And lastly, uh, the Apostle Paul was not against women ministry. He actually commended uh, quite a few of them and, uh, but he had to address some specific situations. And he had to make some of these hard statements. So I hope I hope you were blessed by this study. It was it, it's, it's tough to carry out this kind of study uh, from the solitude of your home, but I hope that somebody was blessed. So see you in our next study. You're blessed.